0: Singularity by Bill DeSmet Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet All rights reserved Chapter 39 Descent Knox worked his way down the stairs, carefully so as not to trip and stumble into Yuri again and earn himself another fist in the gut. It wasn't all that easy to negotiate a spiral staircase wearing handcuffs, but GEI security had insisted no outsider be admitted into the presence of the comrade director, save under restraint. Nearly there now, just a few more steps. What had Mariana said was down here? A bathyscaphe. He stepped off the last riser onto the deck and looked up. And up. The mother of all bathyscaphs. Every time Knox thought he finally had a handle on how big Rusalka was, she'd throw him a curve like this. Floating in a moon pool, the bright yellow submersible took up less than a third of the vast hold. Yet, seen from the foot of the stair, she loomed out of the floodlit darkness like a zeppelin. Cyrillic script emblazoned across the bow proclaimed her the good ship Naftulus. The Russians had always been big Jules Verne fans. No time to see the sights. Yuri was already marching him up the gangplank toward Naftalus's airlock. Knox paused in the entrance to look around, seeing nothing that would have been out of place in the cabin of a corporate jet. Outsized desk cum console with a fifty-inch flat screen on the wall behind it, several rows of armchairs maglocked to the floor plates, a mini-galley off to one side. No door through to a cockpit, though, the scaff was piloted via sonar displays, so the navigational station could be set far to the rear, reserving the view out the forward ports for the paying customers. Knox's survey of his new surroundings was forcibly interrupted as Yuri tired of waiting on the ramp and hustled him into the cabin. Mariana entered behind them, still glaring defiance at her minders, still worrying away at her bonds. Why, Knox wondered, Would Grecian have left her wearing the same sticky mesh they'd been captured in at Weathertop? Why not steel shackles like his? Not that the webbing wasn't up to the job. Pliant enough to permit some freedom of movement, the adhesive manacles were resisting her every effort to twist or tear loose. Captors and captives were still settling in when more footsteps sounded on the gangplank. Knox craned around curiously. One by one... Seven refugees from the geriatrics ward "'filed through the airlock "'and took seats to the left of the big desk, "'all in their late sixties to mid-seventies, "'all looking like well-cared-for wax effigies of themselves. "'Even their eyes looked dead. "'Knox hadn't seen so many bleak, wintry faces all in a row "'since Boris Yeltsin had made the old Politburo "'stop holding its annual November get-togethers "'atop Lenin's mausoleum. "'Come to think,' One or two of them looked vaguely familiar. Finally, Arkady Grigorievich deigned to grace Naftalus with his presence. He strode through the hatch, issuing instructions to a hastily scribbling Sasha. Grecian was in a good mood to judge by the way he glad-handed the seven gaffers on the way over to the big desk. Once there, he rubbed his hands briskly and bestowed a winning smile on one and all. Motioning Sasha to a chair at his right hand, Grecian took his own seat and gave a nod. The pilot moved to the navigation console and busied himself with pre-launch checks. A uniformed crew member swung the hatch to and initiated its locking sequence. Outside, his compatriots could be heard retracting the gangplank. Forty-five seconds went by before the pilot spoke the launch command into his console mic. Nothing happened for a moment, then a low rumble, More feeling than sound vibrated through the cabin. The scene out the viewport grew brighter as green-gold light began to filter up through the moon pool. Rusalka's underwater hatch yawned wide to release Naftalus into the open sea. The submersible dropped like a stone. Nox watched the sunlit water swirl past the portholes. That sparkling green was already faintly tinged with blue. Soon it would turn to black. Naftalus was on her way to the depths. The USN Picard fell through the empty dark. The view out her forward port showed only the milky cones cast by her exterior spots and, occasionally, a blurred vertical streak of light that meant they just plummeted past another drifting, bioluminescent life-form. It wasn't much brighter inside, where Picard's crew compartment was lit all in red, The effect was like riding to the bottom of the sea in a photographer's darkroom. A crowded photographer's darkroom. Euripides Aristos found himself crammed together with ten fully armed and armored ops team six-footers, not to mention one civilian, all of them in a space designed to seat seven, uncomfortably. Pete Aristos was not a nervous man. Still, these accommodations were enough to give a sardine claustrophobia. The creaking of the pressure hull's ceramic metal composite wasn't helping either. Add to that the fact that he was sitting on top of a low-yield nuclear device, and, well, anybody could get a little edgy. Anybody but Picard's civilian passenger, that is. He looked sound asleep, dead to the world and good to stay that way the whole trip. Pete would have given anything to kick back and catch some Zs like that guy. Burdens of command. Speaking of which... Sir? Mr. Haristos. What with the whir of the engines, the bleeps of the acoustic tracking pulses, and the background hum of the CO2 scrubbers, the pilot's soft drawl was barely audible. Still, Pete thought he made out the words, Could you step forward a minute? By the time he'd reached the pilot station, he was hoping he'd heard right. The cramped quarters had made stepping forward a semi-major operation. What have you got, Harry? Pete hunched down and looked over the pilot's shoulder. Lieutenant J.G. Cindy Lee Harris, Harry to her friends, turned her round, freckled face toward him. Not out there, sir. Here, on the scope. She tapped a green-lit screen to her left. They were not alone in their hurtling dive toward the mysterious installation called Antipode. Sonar had picked up another vessel, still maybe five hundred meters above Picard, but descending fast. Casualty? Tsunami wasn't scheduled to kick off for a couple hours yet, but some son of a bitch might have jumped the gun and got sunk for his trouble. Huh? Oh, no, sir. She's in a controlled dive just like us. Jesus. Kind of big for a scaff, isn't she? Sir, yes, sir. A Cadillac to our Volkswagen. Shit. Their best intel was that Antipode was unoccupied. That had made things real simple. But if there was a submersible headed for it, well, it might not stay unoccupied for long, which could change things. Harry, how maneuverable is this tin can of yours? Can you hold us in place a couple minutes? Let her catch up with us? Yes, sir. Sucks juice like Times Square at New Year's, though. Normally, Picard just filled her negative buoyancy tanks with enough seawater to fall to her target depth. Stopping anywhere short of that took extra power. Power they'd be needing for, among other things, life support. I hear you. Do it anyway. And Harry? Yes, sir? Rig for silent running and plot me an intercept course. Let's go have a look at that caddy of yours. Grecian sat gazing out the Bathyscaphe's forward port into the silence of the deep ocean and silently gathered his thoughts. There had been so many obstacles blocking his path, so many adversaries ringed around him, and yet he had overcome them all. Nothing could stop the antipode project now. A small smile played over his features. He clapped his hands once and swiveled to face his fellow council members. Time to begin. Comrades, permit me to welcome you aboard Naftelus. The pilot informs me that we have now reached our terminal freefall velocity of 30 meters a minute, and since our destination is some three kilometers down, a groan of tortured metal issued from Naftelus's walls Several members of the council looked about them nervously. "Pay that no mind," Grecian said with studied nonchalance. "A certain amount of structural stress is the price we pay for maintaining a sea-level cabin pressure, but it is no cause for alarm. Three kilometers is nothing to Nautilus; she is rated for four times that depth. Now, as I was saying." Between our rate of descent and the distance to be traversed, we have another hour and a half before we arrive at Antipode Station. At the same time, circumstances have compelled us to curtail our original agenda somewhat. So, yes, you have a question, Pyotr filipovich The sharp-featured little man with the intent glittering eyes lowered his hand and said, As to these circumstances, comrade-director, I am sure I speak for the council as a whole when I insist on knowing their nature and origin. We have been told we would have the entire morning to review and approve your final report on the Antipode project. Yet, no sooner did we arrive on Rusalka than we were escorted to this vehicle and launched on our voyage. Yes, yes, I was on the point of explaining this. Permit me to finish, comrade... This was not the only curious circumstance. As the helicopter was furrying us in from Horta, we overflew an aircraft carrier group steaming in the direction of Rusalka under blackout conditions. I demand to know what is going on. There is no cause for alarm, Pyotr Filipovich. If you had trouble to read your project briefing book, you would have noted the probability of American detection of and the response to the capture event has been assessed at greater than 70%. Accordingly, this contingency has been planned for. It is, in fact, the reason for the presence on board Naftalus of our guests. At a nod from Grecian, Yuri prodded the spies to a standing position. Members of the Council for the National Resurrection, Grecian said with a small flourish, permit me to introduce... Ms. Mariana Bonaventure and Mr. Jonathan Knox, representatives of the American Critical Resources Oversight Mandate. Karpinski shot to his feet. Have you gone mad, Grecian, to bring two Crom agents aboard? Comrade council members, I appeal to you. Sit down, Grecian said. I warn you, Karpinski, another such outburst will not be tolerated. He leveled a finger at his opponent as if aiming a pistol. The little man took his seat again slowly, his features contorted with now silent rage. To resume, then, it is precisely because Miss Bonaventure and Mr. Knox represent the adversary that they are being brought along. They are here in the capacity of an insurance policy to attest to the innocuousness of our intentions and the credibility of our threat should need arise. As if on cue, Nautilus's hull rang with the echo of a single, active sonar ping. The passengers had only an instant to look around in bewilderment. Then a video conferencing window popped open on the flat-screen display behind Grecian's desk. The image that formed in it left much to be desired. Low res, black and white, five frame a second refresh rate tops. Still, it was the best that very low bit-rate underwater video transmission had to offer and it was enough to depict recognizably the face of a nearly bald, scowling man. Attention, unidentified craft, the man said in English. Drop ballast and surface immediately, or the next sound you hear will be a torpedo in the water. Mariana barely had time to see Grecian gesture over her shoulder to Yuri. Then she was being jerked forward into the line of sight of Naftalus's own VLB video cam. She recovered her balance, less easy than it looked with her hands tied, then raised her head and looked at the man in the conferencing window. Hi, Pete, was all she could think to say. Mariana, what the f- what are you doing here? If you'll permit me, Miss Bonaventure, Grecian cut in in passable English. Mr. Aristos, is it not? My name is Grecian, Arkady Grigorievich Grecian. I am responsible for the presence of your associate and Mr. Knox aboard Naftalus. I ordered it done, against the chance that Crom might put in an appearance. And here you are. Here we are, Pete echoed. And if you think for one damn minute I'm going to hold fire just because you've got a gun to Bonaventure's head, please, Mr. Aristos, Grishan held up a hand. Nothing of the sort is intended, I assure you. Your colleagues are here as witnesses, not hostages. Witnesses? To what? Why, to the undesirable, extremely undesirable, I might say, consequences of any attempt to interfere with my plans. I intend to show Mr. Knox and Miss Bonaventure what we have been laboring on these past twelve years and let them judge for themselves. Pete just said, Think of it as one of Krom's famous on-site inspections, if you like, Grecian said smugly. Your representatives can serve as your eyes and ears within Antipode Station. I am confident that once you hear what they have to say, you will see the wisdom of pursuing a strict non-interference policy as far as Grecian Enterprises is concerned. Pending their report, I would appreciate it if you would have your surface forces hold at their current ten-mile perimeter, and if you yourself would withdraw your little submersible an equivalent distance from Antipode. Mariana, Pete said, help me out here. What's this guy talking about? Would the fact that Grecian had gone to the trouble of kidnapping them make the story any more plausible than last time? Pete, she began, it's complicated. "'Skip the complications. What the fuck is he up to?' "'At last,' came a voice from behind her. "'I was beginning to think nobody would ever ask. "'Mariana spun around. "'She had nearly forgotten who was still standing back there all by himself. "'It's simple, really,' John said. "'Arkady Grigoryevich here is going to undo the assassination of Yuri Andropov in 1984 "'and resurrect the Soviet Union.' listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.